Good morning, good morning, good morning, Discover Church. It's so good to see you. So good to see you this morning. I'm glad you're here. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Jernigan. It's my privilege to be the pastor here. And, uh, and so if you're hanging out with us, I'd love to meet you. I'll be in the lobby after. I'd love to get to know you, get to know your story a little bit. Glad you are hanging out with us today. Hey, I wanna give a, a quick kind of echo uh, to what Chris was saying about the Next Steps course. Um, man, it's a great opportunity for you to kind of just figure out, God, what's my next step? Um, and we're, we're passionate about helping people, um, you know, figure out how to live a life that really matters. And so that's what we wanna help you do. So we're glad that you are here and get connected with that. This is the fifth and final week of our series, I'm Losing My Religion. In this series, we've been learning that God has been waiting a really, really, really long time for us to lose our religion. Let me ask, has anybody felt compelled to lose their religion over the last few weeks? Yes. Yeah. Isn't that awesome when the, when the person on stage gives you a very indirect cue of how you're supposed to respond? <laughs> I raised my hand and, and some of you are like, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> anyway, we can have fun in church, is that right? Yeah. Man, can I just tell you, this, um, this series has been so good for me. Uh, the, the best messages a preacher can ever preach are the ones that God has already preached inside of the preacher. And uh, this series has been so good for me because here's the deal with religion. Um, religion is so enticing. And what I've really wrestled down is the reason why I get to places in my life where I am so drawn back to a religious mindset. If you're new with us, we've been, we've been juxtaposing this idea um, that, uh, of religion and a relationship and that what God wants is a relationship. So get everybody on the same page. But the reason why religion is so enticing is because, uh, and maybe I'm the only one, but, but how many of you feel like religion is just a little bit more tangible than a relationship? Right, like a religion, I can control it. There's input, there's output. If I do this, it means this. If I do that, it leads to that. But relationship, come on, how many of you know if you're married, just because you put something into the equation doesn't mean you're gonna get out of it what you hoped. Nobody said a word. <laughs> this isn't a marriage series this year. I don't know how to respond to that one. But it's so enticing and, um, man, it's just been so good for me. It's just been a continual reminder that, that man, what God wants is... Um, and he wants our heart. And so I'm glad that, that we can wrap this up. Today's message is, um, is for anyone who has ever felt like you've taken steps of faith. You felt like, God, I'm following you. I'm gonna give this a shot. Maybe the steps of faith that you took were really bold. Maybe it was steps of faith that required a ton of risk. And then you took the step off of the ledge and then you felt like God didn't show up. You, you took the step and, and, and you did the thing. You quit the job. You quit a relationship. You started something. Whatever it is, you, you, you took that step of faith and you got there and you began looking around and you felt like, God, where the heck are you? I've counseled a lot of people over the years and, 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 and when we start talking about these kinds of situations, one of the common uh, sentiments that I often hear is something that goes like this and maybe you can, can relate to this. God, I did this for you and I did that for you and I did this for you and I did that for you. God, where's my blessing? 
Some of us have been there. Maybe some of us have been there to a point and you decided, you know what, I'm out. I'm out because God, you didn't show up for me. God, I, I don't know where my blessing is. I, I did the stuff you told me to do and now I'm here and there is no blessing. God, I don't, I don't know where you are. I don't see the byproduct. I don't see the benefit of it. And when you get here, when you get to this spot, it is so incredibly difficult to not grow bitter towards God. So I titled today's message, Bitter or Better. And I saved this message for last in this series because I believe it's the message that is the most confusing. And I believe that this message is so confusing because the, the message that religion proclaims and the message that Jesus proclaims in these moments, in the moments where you've taken the step and done the things, and you're trying to figure out, God, where are you? The message that both of them proclaim are the same. So far, we've seen very clearly how religion and relationship with Jesus stand contrasting to one another. And oftentimes, if you can have the benefit of perspective, you can have incredible clarity to be able to see how they're so radically different. But in this situation, the message is exactly the same. And it is this, hold on. Stick with it. I mean, if you really believe, just, just keep, keep on keeping on. It's going to get better. And so when in a situation where we're frustrated by something, where we're inclined to grow bitter towards God because of something, and religion and relationship are saying the same thing, when religion and Jesus are proclaiming the same message, what on earth do we do? And I wanna unpack this for us today. And, and I wanna to start today with, with a subtle, subtle difference between religion and Jesus that is, that it's so small, it's so subtle that we can miss it, but it makes all the difference in the world. And we find it tucked away in this one little verse in the book of Hebrews chapter four. All right, I'm gonna give you a heads up. We're gonna be all over the Bible today. All right, so if you're ready for your sword drills, you're gonna get practice today. But if not, we're gonna put the verses on the screen. I want you to follow along. But Hebrews chapter four, it says this. For we do not have a high priest. This, when he says high priest, he's referring to Jesus, okay? So it says, we do not have a high priest or Jesus who cannot sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see, here's, what, here's, here's the significant difference, the subtle difference between religion and Jesus. Religion can't empathize with anything that you're going through, but Jesus can. Jesus can because he walked on this earth. He experienced the difficulties and the hardships of life the monotony before he, in between the time that he was, he was a, a young teenager teaching in the temple and being Jesus performing miracles, he was a small business owner. He was a carpenter. He had to deal with customers and vendors. He had to make things so that he could put food on the table. He knows about the mundane and the monotonous. He knows about the struggles and the frustrations of living in a broken, fallen, sinful, jacked up world. He can sympathize with us because he walked as we walked. But not only can he sympathize with us, but he can also empathize. He can connect. He, he can see it from our vantage point because he was here as well. 
Last week, I shared with you about the events surrounding the baptism of Jesus. It was an amazing uh, sequence of events as we got, to saw, uh, we got to see Jesus get baptized and how all of that worked itself out. What I want you to see today is what happened the day after Jesus is baptized. The very next day, this is what it says in Mark chapter one, verse 12. It says, immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan and was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. This is crazy. The day after John the Baptist declares, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The day after Jesus gets baptized, the day after the spirit of God shows up in the form of a dove and, 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 and descends onto the scene, the day after the heavens are parted and everybody on along the banks of the river that day heard the audible voice of God declare booming from the heavens, this is my son and him I am well pleased. The day after all of that happens, Jesus is driven into the wilderness. He's driven into isolation. He's driven into a place where there isn't, there, there, there's no uh, significant resources. There, there, there's nothing. It's just a dry and barren wasteland. And the most important part about it is understanding who sent him there. Look back to Mark chapter one, it says immediately the spirit, it's with a capital S because it's referring to the spirit of God. It means that God looked at Jesus and said, you gotta go out into the wilderness. There's something that needs to happen out there in that place. You see, here's the deal. God, God is going to lead you at times into a place where you're gonna take steps of faith and you're gonna feel all the confidence of knowing that you're doing the right thing. And you're gonna take that step of faith and you're, you're, you're gonna land in a place that does not look like it's sunshine, rainbows, and unicorns. You're gonna land into a place that doesn't even begin to resemble success or prosperity. There's gonna be times where you are going to follow Jesus by taking steps of faith and you're gonna end up in a place that is dry and dead. Just like Jesus was. You start looking around when you get into that season, into that place, and you start asking questions like, God, I thought that if I did this and this and this, that you would bless me. Yet here I am, where's my blessing? You see, it's in the wilderness where some things begin to be revealed about us. In the wilderness, it reveals our misunderstandings about how God works. It's difficult for us as humans with finite minds to be able to understand the infinite ways of an almighty, all-powerful creator God who is so great and so strong and so big and so powerful that the entire universe, everything that we know to be hundreds of billions of light years across fits into the palm of his hand. Yet in the midst 
of all of that expanse fitting into the palm of his hand, he is so infinitely aware of us that he knows how many hairs are numbered on our heads. Some of us, he doesn't have to count as hard. So it's not unusual that we don't understand how God works, but it's in the wilderness that we, we begin to be aware of how much we don't understand how God works. When we get into the desert, we begin to look around and go, God, I mean, what more do I need to do? God, at what point do I get what I deserve? Ooh, that's dangerous. I mean, yeah, God is great and God is good. But when you start talking about what we deserve, I mean, the Bible tells us what we deserve. The Bible tells us that what we deserve is isolation and loneliness, forever separated from God, experiencing nothing but his wrath and vengeance upon sin and the, the, the penalty and the pain that our sin causes on other people, that the righteous, um, vengeful, just God would pour out all of the punishment for our sin on us while we're alive. And then once we die, he wants, we, we deserve to spend eternity in hell. That's what we deserve. But thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, that he demonstrated his love towards us, that while we were still sinners, while we still deserved all of that, Christ died so that we didn't have to experience any of it. Here's the next thing. The, the wilderness reveals our obsession with materialism. Now, I'm just gonna tell you, I'm gonna get in somebody's Kool-Aid today. I believe that God has sent me here with a message that's going to be a little abrasive because there are some things that, that, that aren't right in your spirit. There are some things, there are some of you that are on the verge of, of throwing in the towel with this whole Jesus thing because there are some assumptions, there are some misgivings, there are some misperceptions that you have. All the while, there are some obsessions and some idols and some things that we worship that we place above God. And God has sent me to, to bring a message that, that hopefully will reorient your thinking on some things. Because all of us, in one way or another, we're obsessed with materialism. So oftentimes, we look around at different people and go, we look at how much they have and go, oh, they must be blessed. Sometimes we look at other people and go, well, they are obviously aren't. Let me tell you what I've learned. I've learned that the presence of material things doesn't mean that you're blessed by God. I've also learned that the absence of material things doesn't mean that you aren't. I'm gonna say that again because it flies in the face of what 21st century churchianity wants us to believe. The presence of material things does not mean that you are blessed by God. And the absence of material things does not mean that you're not. Yeah, because we're so obsessed with materialism, so obsessed with prosperity, 
so obsessed with climbing the ladder, so obsessed with getting things, so obsessed with accumulating, so desperate to validate our identity and our worth that we measure it with dollar signs in comparison to other people. And churchianity will often tell you the more dollar signs you have, the more loved you are by God. And I just got, the gospel of Jesus just blows that up because listen to me, nobody in this room could ever be more loved than you are right now. Let me take you back to Adam and Eve for a minute. Because in Adam and Eve, we see God's first interactions with people and we begin to see how God, what God's perspective of what blessings are. Because we're so obsessed with materialism, we don't really understand or see what the blessings of God actually are. So I wanna take you back to Genesis real quick and I just wanna do, we're gonna kind of skip the stone across Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and I just wanna I want to point out some observations that, I, that, I, that God led me to this week that I never thought about before. And perhaps it'll help to shift the conversation or at least the perspective in our minds about this conversation of being blessed by God. Genesis 1.28 says, then God blessed them. This is the second time that that phrase is used. The first time it's used is when God blesses the animals of the, uh, that, that he creates. Um, and, and, then, and then he creates Adam and he says, and he blessed them. And what follows are the things that God views as his blessings that oftentimes we discard, we throw away. And I'm convinced that we do it in America because we don't know what it means to really be in need. So many of us don't know what it means to only have Jesus. This is what it says. And God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. What does God do? God blesses them with a mission. He gives them something to do so that their life can have meaning and purpose and value. Then he says, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now what he does is he blesses them with authority. I've given you a job, I've given you a mission, and now I'm gonna give you the authority that's required in order for you to do that job. Then he says in verse 29, see I have given every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be food. Now what God does is he blesses them with sustenance. The ability to nourish their bodies knowing that they're gonna be tired and wore out from the job that he's given them. In the midst of this, He's also blessed them with a partnership with him. This is his thing. It's his universe. It's his creation. He doesn't need God. He doesn't, or he doesn't need man. He doesn't need Adam. He doesn't need Eve, but he invites them into a relationship. He invites them into a partnership, into this big cosmic thing that that has an impact beyond just one generation, but to all generations. And he invites them into a partnership to be in on that. When we go to Genesis chapter two, we get more of a perspective. And the Lord God commanded man saying, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. He blesses them with freedom. 
He says, listen, I want you to walk in freedom. I don't want you to be shackled. I don't want you to be chained. I don't want you to be bound by things. I want you to know that, man, listen, the world is your oyster. I'm giving you freedom. But notice what he also blesses them with. Verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. He blesses them with boundaries. Come on, how many of you know that we're better when we have boundaries? All you need to know that is to go to a restaurant with somebody who's indecisive that has 150 things on the menu. There are some elbows flying into some ribs right now. The best restaurants I ever go on date nights to are the ones that have three options. Baby, I love you with all that I have but you're better when you have boundaries. (laughs) And because I'm preaching and she's not, we're gonna leave it there. Verse 18, it says, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. The fact that man was alone wasn't just a physiological reality, it was an emotional reality. God blesses them with emotions, the ability to be able to observe and connect and feel and relate to other things. It's one of the few things that makes us different from the rest of the animals on the planet. Listen, and I don't wanna hear any of the animal lovers and the cat lovers and the dog lovers. They're not people, y'all. They don't have emotions like you have emotions. You are designed with the imprint of the creator God made in his image, don't minimize that by trying to make animals just like you because they're not. One of the things that makes us different is the ability to emote, both to give and receive emotion. Then it says, I will make a helper comparable to him. So what does God do? God provides, he blesses them with companionship, with friendship, with family. We go to Genesis chapter three. It says, and they heard verse eight, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. All right, what does this mean? It means that God blessed them with access to him. Every day, God would show up into the garden. I can't imagine the questions that Adam and Eve would have had. How did you make this? What is that? What happens when you take this peanut and put it together with a a strawberry? And God goes, you about to find out. What happens if I take the peanut and I put it together with a grape? Don't do that. Godly people don't do that. Don't do that. What happens if we take the wheat and we process it? It becomes delicious. All the no processed food people just got mad at me. I don't even care. Then we see the most incredible blessing of all. Adam and Eve, they they sinned against God. They did the one thing that God told them not to do. God shows up and he's trying to figure out where they are. Scripture says for the first time that they realized that they were naked and they were ashamed. You see, up until this point, God had blessed them with the absence of shame, where fear was not a part of the human experience. They sin against God and they're afraid of God. They know how strong, how powerful, how mighty he is. And instead of pouring all of his anger and his wrath and his judgment and condemnation on them, it says in verse 21 of Genesis 3, 
Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and he covered them. See, something had to die because of sin. But God in his love said, I don't want it to be you. And so he takes the life of an innocent animal, foreshadowing what we talked about on Easter, that it would be a Passover lamb that was ultimately Jesus. That somebody else was going to have to pay the price for what you did. And God covers them literally with his grace. Because he does this, he blesses them with an opportunity for a new beginning, to establish a new legacy. You see, for Adam and Eve, this was their experience of God's blessings. No talk about money, no talk about prosperity, no talk about the accumulation of things, no talk about measuring their identity or their value or their worth based on how pretty their tunic was in relationship to somebody else's. You see, for them, it was a constant reminder that that animal died because of what they did. You say, hey, preacher, man, I, okay, listen, great. But I don't know if you noticed, man, like we ain't walking around naked in gardens anymore. To which we all said, praise the Lord. Unless you're married and you're thinking about your spouse, in which case you should look at your spouse right now and say, dang it. You got issues with that? We did a whole marriage series back in the fall. It'll help you. What am I supposed to do, preacher man? Because life isn't like that anymore. You're right. And so God has responded proportionately. There's so many things that God has blessed you with. If you are in Christ, if you belong to Jesus, if you used to be spiritually dead, but have been made spiritually alive because of Jesus, he's given you so many things, but so many of them are things that we don't even think about. I wanna share three of them with you today. The greatest gift that God has given us is his Holy Spirit. Now listen, the Holy Spirit, this is a whole preaching series for another time, and I'm gonna do it, I don't know when. We're gonna do a whole series on the Holy Spirit because I'm convinced that, that there's some really faulty teaching about the Holy Spirit, and there's a whole lot of misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit and how it works. But today what I wanna do is I wanna suffice it by going to 1 Corinthians 3.16 when it says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? What this means is, is that the moment that you placed your faith in Jesus for salvation, Jesus forgave you of your sins, he cleansed you, he made you a new person, a new creation, and, and once you were made new, the Holy Spirit of God, part of God, God is a, a three-part being, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one, part of God came and, and, and moved in to your neighborhood. He didn't just move into your neighborhood, he moved into your house. Takes residence inside of your heart. This is incredible for us. I mean, if we think about this, literally, if you belong to Jesus, there is divinity dwelling inside of you. You spend too much time thinking about that, that'll make you crazy. Because you start going, well, if that's the case, why do they keep treating me like that? Don't they know? If my boss knew, 
wouldn't talk to me like that in front of everybody else in the meeting. I'm divine. That is not what I said. If you've ever been in a situation where you've had that little, that little voice in the back of your head, that, that thought where someone said, why'd you do that? Well, I just had a feeling. Something told me. No, nobody told you. That's the Holy Spirit saying, go that way. Let me help you understand the significance of this. The Bible gives us a, a several different descriptions of what the Holy Spirit is, different things to help us understand. And I wanna, I wanna string some of these together for you because the Bible says in 1 John 1 that the Holy Spirit is an advocate, right? Just like, just like in a legal situation, if you have an attorney, you have an advocate on your behalf before the judge. In, 1, in John 14, uh, the scripture says that he is the helper. It's that he is the comforter that he is a teacher. Romans 8 tells us that he is an intercessor for us, meaning, meaning that, that the Holy Spirit of God is constantly praying for you to God on your behalf. John 16 tells us that the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. You go, I don't like that one. Yes, you do. Because it's the conviction that leads you to the point where you get off of the train tracks that the train is barreling down, about to hit you. It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit that tells you, you need to get off. What does all this mean? Well, when we put it together, it means that the Spirit of God that dwells in us helps us when we are in difficult situations and we don't know what to do, prays for us when we're struggling, comforts us when we're hurting, teaches us when we're ignorant about God, God's word, God's ways, and how it connects to our life. He advocates for us when we're being wrongly accused. He convicts us of sin so that we can know when and where we've fallen off the track so that we can get back into alignment with God. That's what the Holy Spirit is. That's what he does in our lives. That's the blessing of God. And when you have a relationship with Christ, when you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you, then the Spirit of God begins to work on you. The Spirit of God begins to work in you to cultivate something. The Bible tells us that if we are truly the children of God, then our lives will bear fruit meaning that there will be spiritual fruit, not, not, not compounding interest in a bank account. Not, not a house with another room, not a car with a longer lease, not a new cell phone. No, no, that our lives will bear spiritual fruit, meaning, meaning that there will be people's lives who are impacted and changed because of the Spirit of God in us working through us. And this happens through what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. Now, if you've grown up in church, maybe you've been around church, been around the Bible, maybe you've heard about this. But Galatians chapter five tells us a little bit about the fruit of the spirit and what these are. These are declarations of what God is saying that he wants to be in the lives of his children. The scriptures that he wants to be true, that are birthrights as a child of God who have been changed by Jesus. It says this, Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is this. It's love. You having a problem loving somebody? You can pray for the Spirit to help you love them. Joy. Man, we talked about that today. Life in the valley at the moment. The diagnosis has, has got you off track. A financial reality has you panicked. Joy is a birthright. 
You can have joy in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that storm. Peace. Hey, listen, how many of you have ever had some, some long, sleepless nights because your mind is running out of control, filled with anxiety and worry and what's going to happen in the worst case situation, the worst case scenario? God says your birthright as a child of God, when the spirit of God works in you, if you will allow him, is peace. By the way, the Bible also says that God is the one who gives a good night's sleep. Long-suffering, any parents in the room? Dear Lord, I know that you designed them, but I brought them into this world. I might send them home early. My mom used to tell me that. Boy, I brought you into this world. I'll take you out. I made it. Kindness. Goodness, faithfulness. Hey, how many of you sometimes struggle with being faithful to your spouse with the things that you think and the things that you look at? How many of you struggle remaining faithful to God? The ability to be faithful is not self-determination. It is the byproduct of the work of the Spirit of God as you surrender to the lead of the Spirit of God. He will lead you to a point of becoming more faithful. Gentleness, self-control. Hey, listen, some of us, we got some issues. Maybe our issues is what we eat. Maybe our issues is what we drink. Maybe our issue is things that we consume. Self-control is a byproduct of the work of the Spirit of God. Self-control is not just, I'm gonna do it. That's not what that is. Self-control is surrendering to the Spirit of God and Him allowing you to know that's enough. Allow me to fill up what's left. And then he says, against these things, there is no such law. Think about that for a moment. That if you could begin to allow to surrender your life to the spirit of God, to live according to the spirit and not according to your flesh, then, then you can embody these, these nine things, these nine characteristics, these, these fruit of the spirit. And what God says, listen, there is no such law against any of these. You're not gonna violate man's law. You're not gonna violate a bro code. You're not gonna violate God's law. Like there is no law that you can violate living and being and embodying these things. Can you just think with me for a minute? When's the last time you went a day, a week, a month, a year without the feeling of shame, without the feeling of condemnation, without the feeling of conviction because you did something wrong? Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like that feeling. I don't like the feeling where I'm wondering that people might see what's really going on. Where you get to the point where you feel like you gotta, you gotta start fabricating truths and spinning stories and telling lies so that people don't know what really happened. I'll tell you, you can only live in that for so long before it drives you crazy. Maybe the thing that you're ashamed of is something that happened. 15 years ago, maybe it's something that happened 15 hours ago. But what God is saying is that if you'll allow me, I will, I will 
Provide the Holy Spirit to lead you. And if you'll follow him, I will lead you into life where you, you cannot violate anybody's laws. Even in a cancel culture. When I think about the abundant life that Jesus promised, this is what I think of. Why? Because I can't go 15 minutes without violating somebody, offending somebody, upsetting somebody. And maybe it's not somebody, maybe it's just God. Maybe it's something that I thought, something that I said. I can't go 15 minutes. As a husband, I'm constantly reminded by my own inability to be able to love my wife the way that God has called me and commanded me to love and serve her. As a dad, I'm constantly aware of my shortcomings, that I don't have the patience I need. I'm not interested enough sometimes that when it's a, hey dad, and then blah, 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 hey dad, blah, 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 hey dad, like at some point I'm like, dear Lord. Long suffering. Patience. Gentleness, self-control. <laughs> I tell you, as your pastor, there's not a day that goes by where I don't understand why I'm here. Because I'm not qualified. Because of my shortcomings in every other area of my life, I'm not, I don't feel qualified to stand here and to be the one that leads you to be more like Jesus, that points you to him, that, that, that proclaims the word of God and rallies us together to us to go make a difference in our city. But the spirit of God leads me. And if I follow him, he leads me to a place where I can have confidence and joy and peace and freedom. Here's the third gift that God gives us. Wisdom. I don't know if there's a single thing that happens in my house that isn't done with two tools. Google and Pinterest. I'll let you guess which one of us uses which one of those. Man, we live in a world where there seems like there is an unlimited supply of knowledge, but a finite supply of wisdom. Knowledge is knowing something. Wisdom is knowing what to do about it. Knowledge is watching something on YouTube or seeing something on a Pinterest board. Did I say that right? A Pinterest board. Wisdom is calling somebody saying, how do I do that? Can you explain it to me? Did you watch the video? Yes, I watched the video, but I don't understand what had happened. God says this in James. He says, James chapter one, verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And he gives to all liberally who uh, without reproach and it will be given to him. God is saying, listen, you need wisdom? Like, I see you got all kinds of knowledge. You can't go anywhere without getting knowledge. And everybody thinks that they are, they're, they're super wise because they have an opinion. Woo. God's saying there's a lot of dumb people pretending to be experts. Listen, 
It doesn't matter if you vote left or right. Can we all just agree that just because you have a social media account doesn't make you an expert? In the name of Jesus, we have something we can agree on. Can I tell you, I find myself all the time with my kids. Every single one of them is different. God, what the heck? How am I supposed to? It worked with that one, but not this one. Which one of us is stupid? Me or my kid? Me. Y'all listen, there's not a day that goes by. There's, not a, not, there's almost no moment where I enter into a conversation with one of my kids where I'm not, Lord, give me wisdom right now. Help me to know how to connect with the heart of my baby. Because as their father, I know that the lens by which that they will see you in these early stages of their life is me. Some of you have such a faulty, messed up view of God because of the lens that your father was. Sometimes it causes us to go, well, work for him, it worked for me. And sometimes it'll cause us to go, I'm gonna be the opposite. And we swing so far the other way that we're just as useless. God, give me wisdom on how to connect with the heart of my children. Give me wisdom to correct them, to discipline them in a way that matters, to, to point them to, to see and to know, love, and know and love you. Can I just tell you, as a pastor, one of the things that Jessica and I talk about all the time about our kids, we love you, we love our church, but you are our second priority. And we pray all the time, God, would you help us to love you and to follow you and to be parents in such a way and to lead the church in such a way that our kids love you and love the church more because of what we're doing and not be the reason that it causes them to turn and run away. I feel like I'm batting, I'm batting 500 at best at that. I'm not complaining. Just trying to figure it out. None of this comes with a handbook. But what about that money though? I heard that preacher one time say, if I just, if I just give more to God, then God will put more money in my bank account. All right, let's talk about the elephant in the room. There are plenty of preachers that you can go to that will tell you if you serve more, if you do more, if you give more, that God will put more into your account. And here's the truth. There is a principle that they are declaring that is rooted in a truth, but it is being proclaimed in such a way that is misappropriating a truth that was not intended for you. Every single situation that I'm aware of where God promises prosperity financially, materially, in response to obedience, everyone that I know of, if you find one that's different, email it to me. That was dangerous. <laughs> My email address is chris at discoverchurchkc.com. 
And if that one doesn't work, it's Brian with an I at discoverchurchkc.com. I'll get with you. I'll get back with you real quick. Every single situation that I know of where God promises that it's connected to the Jewish people. Now listen to me, every promise that God makes to the Jews will be appropriated to us as non-Jewish believers in heaven. But not every promise that God makes to the Jews are appropriated to us on this side of heaven. There is a principle that if you honor God by giving to him first, by saying, God, it's all yours anyway, so I'm just gonna faithfully give back to you first a portion of what you've given me by giving through the church, which is, which is how the word of God funnels it and directs it, not given to other charities, but you give it primarily to the church first, then there is a principle that God will bring blessing. But the promise was never that it was gonna be financial or material. And if that makes you upset because this preacher isn't telling you what you wanna hear, you can go find some other one because there's plenty of them that'll tell you what you wanna hear so that you can show up and give money to his church. I'm not interested in you doing that. I'm interested in you getting your heart right with Jesus. Here's what I've learned. I've learned that God wants you to have things that money could never buy that can only come from him. There's so many more blessings that I don't have time to get into today. So many more things that God wants to bless you with. So many more things that as a byproduct of being a child of God that God wants to bestow upon you. And almost none of them can be bought with money. We have to understand that these wilderness moments are critical in our lives and our growth because it's in the wilderness where God does some of the most crucial work in us. Because it's in the wilderness that, that reveals what you trust in most. Do you trust in God or do you trust in money? Jesus says you gotta pick one because you can't serve them both. And ultimately, the wilderness will either make you bitter or it'll make you better. When Jesus came back from the wilderness, in Luke chapter four, we says, it says, then Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee and news of him went out through all the, the surrounding region. There's something that he came back with that he did not have when he left. There was something that God had to do in him. There were some things that needed to happen in him to prepare him for what was ahead. That, that the process, when you get to those wilderness moments where you've taken the step of faith and you begin to go bitter and you begin to wonder, God, where is my blessing? There are things that God wants to do in you to make you better, not just better for today, but better for what's coming that you don't even know is coming yet. And so oftentimes, because we can't put a dollar sign to those things that God does in us, then we discard it, we throw it away, we act like it doesn't matter. And what God is saying, listen, the most important blessings that I will ever give you will never have a dollar sign on it. I'm trying to make you better. 
You don't know what's coming, but I do. I'm trying to make sure that you're ready. I'm trying to make sure that your faith is fortified. I'm trying to make sure that you have the confidence and the understanding and the unwavering, shakable faith because what you're facing now is hard, but it doesn't compare to what's coming next. And if you don't learn from me what you need to learn now, you're going to be obliterated by what comes next. So what's the difference? How do, we, how do we navigate either getting bitter or better? And I believe it's all about your approach. The first thing that we've got to do, I think there's three things that we need to do when we get into these wilderness moments, when things, all we can see is a dry and barren wasteland. I believe that we've got to do three things. The first is this. I believe that we've got to pursue Jesus, not religion. Hold up, man. I thought you said it was the same message. Here's the difference. Religion is transactional. It will always lead you to a place of belief that if you will input this, then you can put it into the slot machine, pull the handle, and out comes that. Religion is so subtle and it's seductive because it's tangible. It's things that make sense in our mind or things that we can tangibly touch with our hands. But Jesus is not transactional. He's transformational. Jesus wants your heart. And once Jesus has your heart, once all of it is stripped away in those moments in the wilderness and you've chosen, God, I'm gonna serve you, not money. I'm gonna serve you, not title. I'm gonna serve you and not this. Then he has our heart. And this is what happens. When Jesus has our heart, then he begins to allow things in our mind to make sense and he directs our hands to things that will make a difference. The reason why so many of us continue to strive and strain to make sense of it in our mind or to keep our hands busy is because we're still trying to earn our value and our worth. And if we can stack it up high enough, we get enough coins in the bank, then we get to heaven, we can cash it in and he'll say, come on in. But when Jesus died on the cross for you, when you received him as your savior, your worth was identified, your value was sealed as priceless, only payable by the blood of Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing we gotta do. Second thing we gotta do is we gotta pray for discernment. What is discernment? Discernment is simply the ability to to make sense of what God is doing in a moment. So when we pray for discernment, we're saying, God, would you help me? I know that you're here. Your word tells me. I believe in that. God, would you help me to see what you were doing and how you were working and how this thing that hurts, this thing that sucks, this thing that is terrible, would you help me to see how it is being used by you for your glory and my good? If you pray for discernment, God will eventually allow you to have it. It may not be in the moment. I told you earlier that, 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 that when I was a youth pastor, that, that, that I, I led with vision on things that I was convinced was right, and it, and, and it led to failure. An initiative that I launched as a student pastor, I was so convinced it was of God, and it failed so miserably, I almost got fired. And 
And it wasn't until years later that I was able to see that the work that God was wanting to do was not my success in ministry so that I could get a pay raise, so I could get accolades, so that people would look at me as a great person, a great leader, a great pastor. It's only now that I'm able to look back and realize that what God was cultivating in me was humility, brokenness, dependency, all of which was necessary for me to go do a thing by starting this church that at the time wasn't even on the radar. We've got to pray for discernment. The last thing that we've got to do is we've got to persevere through the season. Galatians 6, 9 says, and let us not grow weary in well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. You gotta persevere. I know it sounds just like religion. Just hold on, hang tight, stick with it. But remember the, the difference is, is that Jesus knows what this is. He's been here. He can empathize and sympathize. And he's saying, I'm helping you carry this. So if you're here today and you're in one of those moments, you're in one of those seasons, man, get rid of relation, get rid of, get rid of religion. Cling to relationship and watch Jesus transform your heart. And if you're here today and, and you've walked away because of one of those situations where you took a step and you felt like God just left you hanging, I don't know why. I don't know how, I don't know why it was necessary for you to go through that. But what I know is that my Bible says that God is a good father and he is the giver of every good and every perfect gift. And if you would be willing to, to allow Jesus to have control of your heart, then he would allow you to make sense of it in your mind and direct your hands to something that matters. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.